thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. Uh, when we had this kind of set up, when James is singing and I'm leading, uh, he, uh, he'll shoot me a text the day before asking about songs, and I really had no clue what songs, and I, I kind of joked about that hymn a little bit. Like, it's a great hymn, though. Like, you look at that, that second verse and how important that is and how applicable you'll see in this message that truly as we turn our eyes towards him, the things of this earth should grow dim. Like, the, joy, the things that we uh, typically seek out in this earth, um, I guess the, the worldly things, the possessions, or what we consider success should fade in comparison to God's glory and grace. So, I want you to kind of hold on to that this morning. I think it's awesome how that worked out, uh, kind of planned, but not really. So uh, the other thing which falls right into line with that is expectations. Uh, when we think about, when I think about expectations, uh, I think about how powerful they are in shaping the outcome of whatever event we're looking forward to, um, whatever, you know, Whatever we have in our minds as, as we think of how things should unfold, uh, it shapes our emotions, our demeanor. Um, you know, basically, it can, it can shape the whole entire events surrounding what we thought the outcome should be. And to give you an example, and I hate that she left, but so uh, my wife, whenever it comes to vacations, especially traveling during a vacation, she's very optimistic. Uh, she, she's like, you know, We'll keep the kids entertained with these items. Uh, we'll stop and get some food on the way. And, and just whenever you get tired, Trey, like we'll find a spot to pull over to sleep for the night. And I'm like, well, babe, I mean, I, I'd rather like, even if I'm struggling to get to that spot, I'd rather have a spot booked. Um, I know the kids are gonna be terrible, but you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push through it. Oh, here she is, so all right. Let me hurry up get through this part. But uh, I'm gonna push through it and do whatever it takes to get to that destination. Uh, you know, but I, knowing that we have a hotel ready, waiting for us, like, I can push for it. And, and then me being the good serving husband, like, I'm like, okay, we, we, won't, we won't book anything on the way to Disney World. We'll, we'll, we'll just wait it out. And, and, you know, the kids, like, in my mind, my expectation is the kids are going to be terrible. You know, we'll have about 15 fights before we even get to Gulfport. And, you know, like if that's my expectation, anything that exceeds that is, is gravy. It's all good, right? So we, we pull into, I don't remember the area, Kiss Me, somewhere around that area. And I'm like, Let, let's just start checking to see if there's anything. Like I can go a couple more hours, but we better start checking to see if there's anything available. Nope, nothing in that area. Well, let, let's push forward. I really wanted to make it to Gainesville. Like, so let's just, let's at least make it to Gainesville. So I make it to Gainesville, everything's booked. I mean, like, I've never seen hotels booked like this. I think there were people sleeping like in other people's rooms. It was just crazy. So we push on. I'm like, well, we still have, I think between Gainesville and Orlando, you correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere between like three hours, something like that, two, three hours, about two, maybe two hours. So I'm like, you know, we'll just keep hitting every exit along the way. Like, I mean, it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm still pushing along. It's good. It's all good. You know, I woke up at five yesterday morning, but I'm good. Let's just keep going. So. We're pushing along and, and I think we hit maybe all but two exits between Gainesville and Orlando and nothing, no rooms were available. So my expectation was that 
we're not going to find anything. So when I got to Orlando and started driving around, I, I kind of laughed at it. Like, not that I was right, but my expectations were met, you know? Uh, so it wasn't crushing to me when we slept in the Cracker Barrel parking lot for an hour <laughs> waiting for them to open. So it wasn't, it wasn't crushing to me that the kids, you know, only fought eight times between here and Gulfport. It was, it was met my expectations. It exceeded my expectations in some, some aspects of it. So, so I just want to keep that in mind as we look at the story uh, today, the road to Emmaus, um, and think about how expectations shape our attitudes and our outcomes. And, and think about the past two weeks. If you weren't with us, uh, two weeks ago, James preached on the cross the significance of the curse of the cross. And then last week, being Easter Sunday, uh, he led us through the resurrection. And we have to kind of, it's really hard to do sometimes, but put ourselves in the, the feet of those that Jesus discipled, that spent a lot of time, that he spent a lot of time with. And, and think about what their expectations were of the Christ and, and how the entire crucifixion just kind of rocked their world. And we pick up, uh, we know there's two people in this story, and we kind of get to get uh, kind of a first-hand view of, uh, of some of those expectations and how they weren't necessarily met uh, immediately. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 today, starting in verse 13. I'll give you all a minute to flip there. I'm going to try these things out today. Maybe I won't fall over. All right. So picking up at verse 13 of Luke 24. That very day, so the very day of the news of the resurrection, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other, excuse me, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? <laughs> Grasp the irony in that situation, right? They're asking Jesus if he is the only visitor to not know what, the, what events unfolded the previous few days. And he just replies saying, what things? So let's play close attention in the next few verses how these guys respond. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these, th these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So these were disciples. Like we know these guys had some history with Jesus. They had, they had walked with him. They were in Jesus' circle. Um, they had been taught directly by Jesus. And, and now what, what we see is right after his crucifixion, they lost hope. 
And what's crazy about this, what I find interesting is even when a little bit of a glimmer of hope was being realized in the resurrection, they continued to walk away from Jerusalem with their head down. Like their expectations were completely devastated that they couldn't even see the current things that were happening. So they were looking for a Christ that was going to be a charismatic political figure, someone that would be a conqueror, conqueror of this, this world that they had been under Roman rule. Uh, you know, they were looking for a temporary worldly feat rather than an eternal triumph. And their expectations, just like we, we had talked about, their expectations died on the cross three days prior to this lonely walk back to Emmaus. They were so completely destroyed and misaligned with reality that they could not even process the, res- the resurrection. And even after hearing the news from the, the ladies that had visited the tomb, they continued to this journey home. And then we pick up in verse 25 with Jesus' response. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So you know what's interesting about this? This has to be one of the like, best Bible studies never recorded. Like imagine if we could just flip to Luke chapter 24 and just read through everything that Jesus went through with these guys, like all the prophecies. And I mean, I say it wasn't recorded, but the entire Old Testament, right? Like you have the books of Moses and the prophets. Um, so the books of Moses, the first five books that we now have in this Bible, um, Jesus walked him through that. You can kind of imagine he picked up in Genesis 3, verse 15, it says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This was the curse that was laid out for the serpent. In Genesis 22, when God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. What's really cool, like the first time that the word love was used in the Bible, uh, referring to a father-son relationship and giving up of that son. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham proceeded in obedience. But just before Abraham followed through with what God had told him to do, God intercedes and provides a ram in place of the sacrifice of Isaac. Psalm 22, as Barrett read to you this morning, describes the crucifixion in detail. If we kind of, like, I know that was a huge chunk of scripture, so I want to encourage you this week to go through and read through Psalm 22 again and and really look at those verses. Uh, Jesus actually quotes the opening verse uh, while hanging on the cross. uh, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Uh, It wasn't, you know, a jab at God, the Father, it was in reference to this prophetic uh, psalm, uh, Psalm 22. So there's so many more prophecies and foreknowledge in the Old Testament pointing towards the coming of Christ that Jesus satisfied. So I kind of stumbled across this, and sometimes I don't like going on these tangents because it can be boring to some people, but it just was overwhelming to me when I, when I saw this research that had been put out there. According to one calculation, there are 332 messianic prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, that Jesus actually fulfilled. And just to give you an idea how mind-blowing that statistic is, uh, there was a researcher, Professor Peter Stoner, who was a chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College and chairman of the Science Division at Westmont College. He wrote in his book, Science Speaks, 
the mathematical probability of one person in the first century fulfilling just eight of those messianic prophecies. And these are like the easiest ones to identify, right? So the probability of one individual fulfilling just eight of those prophecies was one in a hundred quadrillion. So that's one in 10 to the 17th power. So I know that's a, just keep that in mind, 10 to the 17th power, okay? So he went on to calculate the probability of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies, which is one in 10 to 157th power, right? So that's only 48 of the 332 that we can reference through the eyewitness accounts and uh, you know, the different things that we have written here in scripture that occurred, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls found hundreds of years before uh, Jesus even stepped foot on earth. Um, so we can trace back those different events and through eyewitness accounts and see where Jesus fulfilled the 332 messianic prophecies and how mind-blowing and how nearly impossible it would be for any one human to fulfill eight, let alone 48 or 332. So I know that's a lot to digest, but statistically, it's just insane, right? So... Regardless of the mathematical probabilities or the specific messianic text, the point that Jesus, this point is in this uh, text that we just read through is that Jesus spent time with these disciples. He was realigning their expectations of what they expected the, the Messiah to be through the study of his word, which is awesome, right? Like Jesus didn't just come out and say, hey, I want to give you this whole revolutionary idea, this whole new text of stuff like as to why I am the Messiah. Like he pointed them back to scriptural texts that they had ever since infancy. These were, these were guys that had grown up uh, in the Jewish culture, so they had access to this text from early on in life. He didn't create some kind of new prophecy there in that moment. He was just basically guiding them through his, his word. So what I want to drive home here is that when our expect, excuse me, struggling this morning, when our expectations are not rooted in God's word, our outcomes are drastically affected. So when our expectations are not rooted in God's word, our outcomes are drastically affected. Pick up in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Still being a servant in that moment, right? And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So I find it interesting in verse 28, it says he acted as if he were going further. So here, here when you read the scripture, I know I've read it several times before and I didn't even take note of that. And here you have Jesus go through all the prophecies of the Old Testament. We know he spent a lot of time with them. We see that the, it was changing into evening. Um, so he spent hours, what seems like hours, going through the scriptural prophecies that, that he actually fulfilled. 
And then when he finished those, when he finished that awesome Bible study, he was just going to move on. Except they wanted more time with him. Those disciples wanted more time with him and asked Jesus to accompany them to, to a meal. So we know, like, I mean, you, you wouldn't be sitting here this Sunday if you didn't at least have a thought that God is working amongst us, right? Like we know as believers that God works all the time. I mean, I, I know even in, in my story, like I talk about the timing of how God's worked in my life as a past tense thing. Like even when I give an account of, of my testimony and, and how it's only God's timing that can explain all the things that have worked out to bring me here today. And then I kind of just glaze over it sometimes and, and forget to acknowledge how God is still with me right here in this moment. Um, I think it's easy for us to do, to look at tidbits of how Jesus has worked in our life, right? And not acknowledge the fact that he is walking with us daily. And not just that he's walking with us, but what, how does that affect all of our expectations moving forward? Like, is it, oh yeah, Jesus walk, is walking with me and I'm going to take it for granted. And I, I think those guys could have easily done this in this moment. Like, Jesus walked with us, he, and they didn't even acknowledge that it was Jesus in this moment when they're walking down the road and he's telling them these prophecies um, and that were fulfilled through, through himself, but they didn't even recognize it was him. And they could have easily taken that moment for granted and be like, man, that guy was pretty knowledgeable himself. Like, you know, it's pretty cool that we stumbled across him and then went home and ate and never thought another day about it. But instead, they embraced it. Like, they embraced the fact that Jesus was walking with them and wanted more. So I, I know that's like, I feel like that's how we do a lot of times in relationships. Uh, in the, the early on state, uh, whatever relationship it is, there's a lot of excitement. Like, you can even look at this with your spouse or a friendship, whatever it may be. You want to hang out with this person all the time. Like, you want more of that, right? And then as time goes on, you're like, uh, yeah, you can go to your parents today by yourself without me. Uh, you can, you know, do do all these, and, and I'm not saying those are bad things, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe our relationship takes a different journey. You know, you have more of a deeper relationship where you just kind of, you know what the person's thinking and you don't get so excited about how they respond to something because you, you're expected in a sense. Um, but what, it, what I think this story is telling us is that that excitement, like I love how these guys say it in 32, I'm going way off base of what I had written here, so I might stumble through this a little bit, but they said, did our hearts, did not our hearts burn within us? Like, think about that. Like, these guys realize, like, something is happening here in this moment. Like, there is true excitement in this moment with Jesus as we're, we're talking through these scriptures. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Like, guys, that experience can be with us each and every day. These were guys that lived with Jesus, that were taught by him prior to his resurrection. I'm like this is an excitement that can be with us each and every day. Like we say that Jesus has now take a, taken up residence within us as believers. Like he tabernacles is the is the word that's used in scripture. Like his place of worship, like he is embodied within us through the Spirit. Like that is what we are saying as believers. So if that is the case, like should our hearts not burn within us each and every day that we acknowledge his presence and how good he is. So we can look back at this text and look at Cleopas and his friend and be like, guys, are you not just idiots? Like, I just want to shake them and be like, Jesus, not only was he alive and 
human bodily form, form and got, you got to walk somewhere around three years with him and his teachings. And then you still miss the point on the, on the cross. And then you had the opportunity, like post-resurrection, to hang out with Jesus. And like he got to eat with you once again. And finally you got it. Like that's what it took for you to get it. But it wasn't necessarily through, through sight. It was through their faith, right? Like it was the fact that he pointed them back to Scripture. Like Jesus... They started to burn. They started to feel that desire just when, before they even knew it was Jesus. Like, he had pointed them back to the text and revealed all these things to them. And we we're like, man, like, it's got to be easy to be Cleopas, right? Like, he had these awesome opportunities. And then, then you start to think about your own life. I kind of want to just shake myself sometimes. Like, it's all right here. Like, Jesus not only gave us the opportunity to look back at these prophecies ourselves, to read through these texts and have other individuals to to speak through, um, to work out with in the church body, but he, he gives us even more, right, in the New Testament. Like, we have this story, the road to Emmaus. We have other expectations lined out throughout the entire New Testament of what our life should be as a Christian. I want to point it to a few of those verses. Matthew 10, verses 38 says, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Probably like two of the most powerful verses in the Bible, like spoken straight from Jesus' mouth. Like guys, if you don't carry your burden, if you don't lay down this life, like all the things that, you know, we, we think as uh, that society tells us are good, if those are more important to us than following Christ, then we have missed the whole point. Um, and I, I don't want to this scripture to sound like it's condemnation because that's, there's no condemnation in Christ. Like what it does in these moments is it should help us realign uh, what, what's our driving force. Like is our driving force in life to have nice things or is it to, to follow Christ at all costs? Is it to have a picture perfect family or is it to follow Christ at all costs? Mark 10, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, not necessarily in possessions, but in what our life is worth, houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. <laughs> yeah, there's a little caveat there, right? You're going to receive hundredfold with perse persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So not only now, we don't live just for this moment and excitement here, like which there is excitement in Christ, like each and every day. Like I, you know, I joke with Chris all the time because I feel like he thinks that he's a burden sometimes when we talk about stuff like this. But it's truly exciting to share in conversation with how Christ is working in your life or, or things that you learn through Scripture or you know, how, how you continue to see, how you continue on that walk with Jesus and how you want him to sit at the table with you and how you want more of that and how you want to break bread with others who want to have those conversations. John 16, verse 33 says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So guys, yes, we might experience difficult times. You you're talking about these things and living differently than others, people might think of you as odd, and even more so, you might lose things that this world continues, that they rest their entire lives on. You might lose them and still, for some reason, have peace about it. 
And you might be persecuted. You should be persecuted. You will be persecuted if you're following Christ. And what he tells us, what Jesus tells us in this, what I love, uh, it seems so simple, but he has overcome the world. If you hold on to that truth, then there should be peace that resounds in those difficult times. So our expectations must be rooted in his word. The road will not be easy, but it is totally worth it. We tend to be a lot like Cleopas and the other disciple. We can easily get caught up in the fleshly, emotional, driven expectations that we have uh, on this earth and forget what God's word tells us. Like These are just a few things that Jesus himself laid out as expectations for our life. But there's so much more packed in this Bible. So verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Like I want you to kind of, if you can today, meditate on that. Like Think about how exciting it was the first time you came to realize that Jesus is Lord of your life and having a perfect almighty God as ruler of your life and how awesome that is. Like, I know that is such a, a hard thing to grasp in this world. Like, oh man, I'm free and I should live free and how I want to be. But you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. It's, there's no way around it. Um, and how awesome it is to follow a God that brings us peace uh, through his teachings and through the life that he had laid out for us. And there's one thing that I kind of thought about this morning that I feel like a scripture I point back to a lot. Because like if I could have one thing strapped to my forehead, like dangling out in front of me, one, one, scripture, one chunk of scripture, it would be this. Um, because I feel like it, it kind of, in a way, like our life revolves around work, whether it be the job you have, um, the family you're trying to, to raise, uh, whatever it may be, there should be some kind of work in your life, right? We're not, we're not called to be just sitting around uh, being lazy, but... This scripture is the one that, if I could just remember one thing each and every day, as the, the kind of assess my expectations for my actions, comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. God, let Christ lead you. Let him be Lord of your life, and you will live more abundantly than anything this world has to offer. Father God, you are great, dear Lord. And, and God, I pray this morning, God, from a place that, God, I want to be like this word this morning. God, I want to be like your word to, to live for you. God, not live for pleasing of men, but God, solely for for pleasing you. God, if this life was truly a sacrifice laid out for you, God, let it be, let it be just that. God, just let each one of us this morning, as we think about the rest of this day, God, the rest of the interactions we may have, God, if we do them all for your sake, God, then that, that is truly what it should align our expectations, Father, that that God, that we don't take a moment for granted. God, that we, we take every opportunity we can to, to break bread with you. God, to, to relish in your word and the, and the things that you have laid out for us. Father, you are great and all my doings. Just thank you so much for you in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. 
We hope that it was encouraging for you and that you have a great week. God bless.